So if you don't have your Bibles open, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 49. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the pews in front of you. Feel free to reach out and grab one of those. Um, And there we go. Reach out and grab a Bible. Have one of those in your hands. And we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 49, 28, verse Genesis chapter 50, verse 14. Genesis 49, 28. And all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with them with a blessing suitable to them. And we talked about that last week. Jacob had blessed his children, and as we saw the promise of Judah and this wonderful, wonderful prophetic blessing that he gave to Judah that was for us, as it was through Judah, the line of Judah, that Jesus would come, the promised Messiah. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess a burying place. There they buried Abraham and his Sarah, his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites, and when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed. He breathed his last and was gathered to his people. We have titled the today's sermon, Grief on Display. We're going to see, even in death, we are putting forth what we believe in who God is, especially in death. And in this situation, we're going to see the the family of Jacob come around and and, and put their grief on display for all the Egyptian people to see. And we're expecting that the grief that they put on display and the grief that they exemplify will look differently than what the Egyptians were used to seeing because they're people of God. But we're going to start off this morning by what it is to talk about dying a good death. Now, does that kind of sound oxymoronic a little bit there to you? Dying a good death. How can we die a good death? Well, one of the things that we learn here is as we see what Joseph is, or excuse me, as Jacob has done, he has put things in order for his children. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say this morning's sermon is about how to fill out a good will or how to have a living will and how to, how to make sure your finances are in order before, before you pass away and those kind of things. I'm not saying that that's the heart of this message, but I do think it's something that we can learn from this and that dying a good death, Jacob is prepared for death. He has spoken to his children. He has put things in order. For his family. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you what. That's one of the most loving and compassionate things we can do for our families. I have seen examples in being a military chaplain. I've faced a lot of death in my 44 years of life. I unfortunately have seen a lot of death. And I have seen people who 
do not die well and do not leave their families with a good understanding of what things should look like when they're gone. And I've watched wives struggle. Death is hard enough. And I've watched wives just struggle trying to figure out things and, and, and put things together and try to understand things. And in, in the process of all this, she is grieving deeply, missing her husband. The kids are missing their dad. And now it's just tenfold as they're just struggling to understand, I don't know how to turn the hot water on. I don't know how to pay the bills. Do we have money in the bank? I don't know. Jacob took care of things, and as he prepared himself to die, he set his family up for passing. And, and I think that that's something that we could do very practically as we look at dying a good death. Because guess what? We don't know what tomorrow holds. Our life could be over tomorrow. And have we done a good job of explaining things and setting our family up? The greatest thing that, that notice here is Jacob's focus I'm about ready to be gathered to my people. Where's Jacob going? He's, he's gonna, he's, he, I'm a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, I know that I'm going to go be with God. And I'm going to go be with Abraham. And I'm going to go be with Isaac and my grandma and, and Sarah and my great-grandma and Rebecca. And, I mean, got those slipped around. I mean, there, he knows where he's going. He is confident. He is telling his children, this is where I'm going. And someday you trust in God. You believe in God. You too will join with the family in heaven. Even in his death, even as he's dying, he is orienting his family towards an eternity with God. And we've seen, I think most of us in this room have seen people in our lives that have died with God and died without God. And it's as hard as it is to lose a loved one when you know that they love Jesus and you know where they're going, it gives you such a sense of peace. And I've done funeral services for those who are not believers. And there's just this brokenness that you know will never get fixed. And there's such finality, like they died without Jesus. And it breaks your heart. Jacob knows where he's going. He prepares his children for death. And he says, take me to the promised land that I may be buried with my family. Because Jacob, even in his death, is Jacob seeing the fulfillment of the promised land? No. Jacob is not seeing. Jacob's believing in the promises that was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to him. He's believing the promises so much that he's saying, I want you to journey from here, put me in a box, and journey from here to the promised land and bury me there because someday y'all are going to be there. And it'll be a resting place for your whole families. Take me to the promised land. And in his death, he is holding on to the promises of God. That is such a beautiful thing for us to witness. That even in his death, he holds on to the promises of God and he teaches his children to do the same.
The next thing in your outline this morning that you're going to read, we're going to read Genesis 50, verse 1, and then Joseph fell on his father's face, and he wept over him, and he kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for that. And for that is how many were required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for 70 days. I may have offended some of you if you read your outline. Because this is the second point of today's sermon. And some of you may feel that that's, the word sucks is vulgar language. Brothers and sisters, death is vulgar language. We weren't made to die. I don't think we grasp that because that's all we've known. But we weren't made to die. God made us to live forever with him in the garden in perfect Harmony and perfect peace and joy with him. That's what we were made for. And so death sucks. And I think if we're being honest here in this morning, if we've experienced that with someone we love close, that's what it does. It's like sin. Sin sucks too. And death and sin are married together. For when Christ defeats sin, he defeats death. Death is horrific. Death is terrible. There's something that takes place within death that was never meant to happen, and that is the body and the spirit being torn apart. And God never meant for that to take place. He made us in his image, body and soul. But in death, it happens. This tearing apart, this breaking apart of what God did not make to be torn apart. John Wolverd was a president of Dallas Theological Seminary for a lot of years. And on his deathbed, he makes this powerful statement. He loved Jesus. He goes, I know where I'm going when I die. But I fear the journey. That's a very Christian statement. Because he knew that what was about ready to take place was a result of the fall. It was a result of what we chose with Adam and Eve in the garden to deny the truth of who God was and to sin and to rebel against God. And because of our rebellion against God, we chose death. And it hurts. And it's something that's I'm so sick of it in our society. I'm so sick of the fact that we're supposed to get over death like that. Why does death hurt so much? Well, God made you and I to be in relationship with each other, remember? We're made in the image of God, and God is a triune God. And within the Godhead, we see perfect fellowship and perfect harmony within the Godhead, right? Perfect communion with each other within the Godhead. And God, God said, I'm going to make them in my image. Therefore, when God made us, what did he say when Adam was alone? It was bad, right? And so he made that perfect helpmate partner with him so that they could be in relationship with each other. Because God made us to be in relationship with other people. 
He made us to be friends. He made us to be wives and husbands. And he made us to have these incredible relationships with each other. He made us to love one another. It's in the greatest commandment. It's in the great commission as well. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission, go make disciples. And I'm telling you what, if you've ever tried to make a disciple and you don't love them, you're not doing a very good job of making a disciple. The disciples are made in relationship. God makes us to be in relationship. We get these deep relationships with each other. And they, man, and they're so wonderful and they're so hard and they're so messy. Amen? And then we lose that person. And they die. And it hurts. It rips your guts out. And that's okay. For 70 days, they mourned Jacob. 70 days. Some of us have have gone to different kind of cultural backgrounds. You know, Glenn was mentioning the Irish, the wake for his dad. Last week, and, and your grandfather, I'm sorry. Yes, I know. I know we're not you know, superstitious here, okay? So we don't have to worry about that. To mourn somebody for several days is weird to us. You know, it's like, well, let's hurry up, get the funeral planned. Okay, now that the funeral, funeral's planned, and there's a lot of activity goes around that. People are present. People are bringing food. You know, man, I mean, people have food to eat for a month during this time. And, but as soon as that funeral's over, we're like, great. It's over. That, that was the hardest part. And, um, yeah, well, I'll call you next week. And next week turns into a month turns into, and, and the next time we see them about two months later, if there's tears in their eyes, if they're still struggling, we're kind of like, aren't you over that yet? Are you kidding me? The horrific has happened. Death has taken place. Relationship has been severed. Now praise be to Jesus Christ. Because when he defeated death, and how do we know, brothers and sisters, he defeated death? What did he do? He got up and he walked out of that grave. That's why Resurrection Sunday is a big deal around here. That's our Super Bowl. That, that's, that's, our, that's our party, Okay. We get really excited about it. We don't just let that day go by. No way. You come on that day, something special's happening, and we're going to be really excited, upbeat, and just excited because death and sin have been defeated because Jesus got up and he walked out of that grave underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And what does that mean for us? That means death is no longer victors over us. We still die. But guess what, guess what Jesus has promised? Same day, I'm, I'm coming back. And when I come back, man, graveyards are going to become a mess. <laughs> but until that day, you and I deal with the hurt and the loss of death. When we talk about being a family, I, I really, really mean it. And it's been cool to hear Paul McNally. I met and went and talked with him 
on Thursday before he left to Seattle. We're not going to see Paul and Pat probably for about another six months. Paul's got a long journey ahead. Paul said to me, you know, Scott, you keep harping on that, that family thing. And he goes, I have felt it. I've also determined something else about this wonderful congregation. I know now how to motivate you. I tell you not to do something. Uh, and I, I figured that out this week. I tell you, don't, don't go visit Paul. He's exhausted. And he, he, I talk to him. And what does he say? I had like 15 visitors. I'm like, I got it. Now I know what to do. I'm just teasing. Reverse psychology. This works with my kids sometimes too. <laughs> In our desire to be a family with each other, our desire to care for each other, I want us to be a place that loves amazingly well in times of grief. We have got a phenomenal mercy and care team being led by Kathy Iyer and Peggy Harkey. Dennis Vogt is also um, our elder overseeing that ministry. If you've got questions on what it looks like to go be with people who are dying in the hospital or to, to sit with a grieving widow or to sit with a grieving family member. If you've got questions on what that looks like, Kathy and Peggy are some amazing individuals that would be happy to just sit with you and share with you and pour some wisdom and insight into you. Because I'm gonna tell you, when it comes times to be in those moments, I probably, unfortunately, can give you what, what not to say more than what to say. Because my experience, it's when I open my mouth and I say something that it's usually the wrong thing. But the better thing to do is sit there with your arm around them or holding their hands or just weeping with them. Because it's not our words that bring comfort and peace. The presence of the Holy Spirit, it's... The word of God. And death hurts. It sucks it wasn't meant to be this way. But it is. And so because Jesus Christ has come, we get to be part of redeeming moments as people are grieving. And we get to be a part of those moments as we remind them that they are loved by God. And it hurts. But it even in that moment of hurt, God is present with them and loving them. And we do that not necessarily through spoken word, but by just being there and being representatives of the kingdom of God in broken moments. And I would ask that you not fear those moments. Don't stay away from people because they're grieving. One, they're our family. We need to be there. But two, they know you're not there. They know you're avoiding them. And that hurts worse. So don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to reach out and to love them and encourage them, especially when the pastor says, don't go visit. You go visit. <laughs> if, the family say, if the family says too much, they'll, they'll cut you off and they'll, they'll say, you packing? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I look at Joseph. Joseph knew where his dad was going. Joseph had a complete understanding of his dad was a follower of the one true God, and he was going to go be with Abraham, Isaac, 
but he still weeps. So did Jesus. And I know theologians have argued, like, why did Jesus weep, right? I mean, from the foundations of the world, he knew completely everything was going to happen. He knew that Lazarus was going to be dead. And, and if you don't know the story, Jesus was, was doing ministry. And he had a dear friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they sent word to Jesus several days prior to Lazarus' death that, that Lazarus was really sick. And was sick to the point of death and that he should come right away. But the text is very clear that Jesus stayed and continued to do ministry. And then Jesus then finally comes after Lazarus is dead and in the grave four days. And Mary comes and greets Jesus. And Martha comes and greets Jesus. And both of them are professing, Jesus, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus goes to the grave, and before he has, says those words, Lazarus come forth, he, he weeps. And I don't know. I speculate with everybody else because I don't know the mind of Jesus, but I can't help but think like Jesus is saying, I didn't make it to be this way. Jesus is saying, when I made man, I made him not for this. Not to be put in grave and to rot, but to be alive. Jesus also knew what it was going to take for death to be finally overcome with his own life and the separation that would occur between him and the Father because of our sin. Death is hard. And I believe that there's a right way for us to handle death and there's a really wrong way for us to, to handle death. In a day and age where we worship, we really worship the physicalness of who we are, there's some right ways and some wrong ways. And before we get there, though, I want to just remind you of a beautiful passage of Scripture We are reminded that because Jesus defeated death, those who are in him are also defeat death. We learn this in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. But I am telling you this morning that there is something worse than physical death. And that's dying without Christ. If you're here this morning, you're visiting with us, or you came this morning, and you are not a Christian, and you're kind of trying to wrestle with the stuff of what it is to be a Christian, and to who is this Jesus guy, first off, thank you for coming. It takes a lot of courage to walk in a room full of Weirdo Christian types, right? <laughs> so thank you for being here. But secondly, I just want you to think about that death is coming. And it's final. And if you die without Christ, I believe scripture is, is very clear. There is eternal separation and punishment for those who die without Christ. But even more so, 
I want you to understand this morning that God has life for you right now. That we can stop choosing death on a daily basis. Do you know we do little things every day to choose death? Anytime that we're being led by the Holy Spirit, the, the word of God speaking to our lives to, to act in obedience, to do something right, to follow after God, and we choose not to do that, we're not just choosing to disobey God, we're actually choosing death because Christ came to bring us abundant life in him. Abundant. Like here, now, where we're at. Abundant, amazing life. God died Christ died for us and rose from the grave so that we might have abundant life here and now. But we keep choosing death. We keep turning to God and saying, I don't want to have a really great life. I, I really like this over here better because it makes me feel more better now. Or in this moment of self-gratification, I'm choosing this. And Jesus is saying to you, are you kidding me? Even in this moment... I can give you abundant life. Quit selling yourself short. Quit choosing death. Christ died so that we might have life. And so if you're here this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart so that you might understand that you can have life today. And that life then guarantees you that someday, even after you're dead, you're going to be even more alive in him than you've ever been alive in our lives. There's this journey of grief that takes place. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 4, And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. And in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there, sure, there, you shall, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, and then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father with him, went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. What a procession. What a procession. And let me tell you something. When, when, when one of our loved ones, one of the family of God died, the world is watching. And I can't help but think of, I can't help but think of Alan Anderson's procession when they did the graveside service. There, there had been 20 to 25 service vehicles from sheriff's department, EMS, fire. The world was watching as Christians grieved. And I know from the things that were said during that service that they heard about Alan, a man who loved God, the man who delighted in serving other people, not for what he was getting out of it, not for the neighbor to say thank you for, for plowing my yard or my driveway, but because Alan just loved people and delighted in doing it and serving others. When we grieve, whether we know it again, once again, we're putting God on display. We're discipling people, hopefully, towards the throne of God. So this huge caravan follows 
as they take Jacob to the promised land. Verse 8. As well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household, only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning there for his father for seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave at the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt and with his brothers, and all had gone up with him to bury his father. It's very interesting, this journey and the route that they took. The scholars have argued that the route that they took was this foreshadowing, this, this, this precursor to what was going to take place when someday the Israelites would be enslaved by the Egyptians. God would perform these powerful acts upon the Egyptians and the Israelites would be released from slavery and they would journey and make this journey to the promised land. And it's very interesting is this journey, is, as theologians have argued, that guess what, this was the same path that they would have taken, and quite literally the same place where they would have crossed over the Jordan. God is, is setting this up, this journey of grief and this journey of sorrow in light of, guess what, there's going to be a time when there's going to be great hope in this journey. Brothers and sisters, our journey of grief as Christians should lead us to one place, and that is to the gospel. And that is a God-honoring grief. But I believe we can grieve in such a way that is not God-honoring if it takes us to a place where we no longer believe in the goodness, the greatness, the gloriousness, and the graciousness of God. And we have known people who are so deeply grieved and their mind and heart has been pulled off who God is and directed to their own hurt because their hurt is too big for God to handle. God is big enough to handle the hurt. You see, the end of the journey of grief, that this journey, where the journey of grief should lead Christians, is right back to the throne of God. This journey of grief, that as, as Joseph and his family took Jacob to be buried, took them back to the promised land. The place where they looked for the future and hope of Israel. And our journey of grief, as we lay those loved ones down, as unless God intervenes and does the miraculous in Bill's life, we will be facing in a very short time, all gathered around, celebrating Bill's life. But doggone it, we've even had to rename the service. It's a funeral. We gotta call it a celebration of life because how many times have we heard, well, they don't want, it, they don't want me being sad. Are you kidding me? 
It's a severed relationship. We don't get to talk to that person. Little Lois, she comes up to me on, in the hospital on Thursday night, and we were talking, and it's going to be okay, Scott. It's going to be okay. Bill's going to be just fine. I mean, he's going to go be with Jesus, but it's all going to be okay. And I turned to her and said, no, it's not. Lois, you're going to lose your husband. 70-something years of marriage? Are you kidding me? This is going to hurt so bad. And Tammy, the daughter, looks at me and goes, thank you. And Lois turns to me and she goes, you mean I don't have to be strong? No. Grieve. Mourn. Please. Please. But we grieve in a mourning, in a way that points us back to Jesus. That says that the hope in this moment is in Jesus Christ. And we're grieving and we're mourning because you gave us incredible relationships to have. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to show my age a little bit. So there, there's some young folks in here, and they may have not been exposed to this song. How many of y'all heard Garth Brooks' song, The Dance, right? Yeah. All right, a few folks here. I like that song, and I, you know, it's not a Christian song. But, you know, in that song, he talks about the grief and the sorrow he goes through through with this relationship. You know, it's, it's like a typical country song. And if you play it backwards, you get your house back, your car back, and your dog back, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> and talking about this difficult relationship and how, you know, he was heartbroken over it. But he says, I would never have wanted to miss that dance, even though I went through this pain. As Christians, we can enter into a relationship with one another, knowing full well that somebody, somebody's going to die, and then we're going to have that great pain, that great sorrow. But you know what? There's such beauty in relationship with one another. And that even as we grieve each other's deaths, we can put the gospel on display for all to see. Because we know, as 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, it must be 11.11. Yep, sure is. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans in the room. Absolutely. Verse 1 Thessalonians 4.13, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Okay, I, I'm going to reread that again because we were listening to the bell because I think we missed out on the punchline there. Here. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people without hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, and his return is done. You gotta exist outside of time and space, right? We're the finite beings, right? He's already come back in his world. Heaven's already going on, and that's gonna mess with your head, and, and that's okay. He's God, right? And for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, and we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him the believers who have died. You know what's so cool? 
It's we're gonna get lifted up out of graves. And I believe quite literally, God's gonna make a mess of graveyards. As graves are thrown open, Christians are reunited with their spirit, their bodies reunited with their spirit in heaven, and we're given new bodies. I'm getting my thumb back, folks. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, unless God says you need that scar. Jesus still has his scars, so I'm still kind of wondering about that, okay? For a long time, I thought I was getting my thumb back now, but every time I read that Jesus still has his scars, I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll see. But all I know is it's going to be perfect bodies. It's going to be amazing. So we don't grieve like people without a hope. We grieve. Don't miss it. We do grieve. We grieve the fact that death sucks because of sin and death is the only result of sin. And we also grieve because we're missing that relationship who God brought us into relationship with. We're missing those things. But we grieve pointing people to God and telling people I hurt. And the reason I hurt is not because I'm without hope. I hurt because God gave them to me for a while, and that's a broken relationship. And someday God will restore that relationship, and I really look forward, but I'm going to miss him in the meantime. And I grieve because sin is so devastating. And I want you to have victory over sin with me. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your incredible love and grace that you show to us. I thank you, Father God, for your mercy that you show to us, Lord, that in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we can be forgiven of our sins and have victory over death. Thank you, Father, for everyone in this room, and I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that has not trusted you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they bow their head and they close their eyes and they surrender their lives. They're saying, Lord, I give my life to you. I am a sinner and I have sinned against you and there's no way of overcoming that sin and I give my life to you and I want you to, to wipe out my sin as you promised you would do it. I want you as my Lord. I want you as my Savior. I want you as my God and I give you my life. Please, Lord God, and for us as Christians here in this room, if we are not grieving well in some area in our life where we're recognizing that we have been so focused on our pain that we're not serving God anymore because of our pain, Lord God, I pray that we would, we would turn once again towards you and, 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 Lord, say, Lord, I need you to heal my heart. And Jesus, we know you can. We know that, God, you are big enough to heal the greatest hurt that we have ever experienced in our lives. And Lord God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that is struggling to overcome a hurt, deep hurt in their life, a deep grief, a deep sorrow, that they would reach out this morning to another brother, another sister and say, I can't, I can't get over this. And then we together can walk a journey together on this journey of grief that leads us back to the throne of God and to a place of hope. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
We're going to turn to our time of taking communion now. Um, we do this on a weekly basis, reminding ourselves of what Jesus, for what Jesus accomplished on our behalf on the cross.